You are listening to audio from Creekside Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside, find out about our services and upcoming events, or listen to other sermons, please visit creeksidecommunity.org. Good morning, Creekside. Uh, My name is Dan Goodson. I'm one of the elders here at Creekside Community Church. Excited that you are here with us this morning. Uh, Before we get started, love to go to the Lord in prayer and just ask that he would lead us this morning. Lord, we thank you just for another day. Uh, This is the day that you have made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. God, I thank you just for how you have led each one of us throughout this week. For some of us, it's been an awesome week. We've just had a great experience, uh, whether it's getting to do fall sports or getting to do just life in general. For others, it's been a more challenging week. Um, just we, we know of loss within our uh, community here. We know of challenges and things that are going on in people's lives. Lord, we thank you that you are an ever-present um, Savior. We thank you that you love us and you know us intimately. Ask that you would lead us Uh, this week, and that you would um, guide our time this morning, that you would speak through your word, and that you would touch our hearts. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, I think those videos with Jenny and Tim's kids are incredible. I think they're going, we're going to be seeing them in movies someday. Like, they're just, the facial expressions alone are just incredible when, like, the the, um, pumpkin coloring page gets taken away, and you got a Christmas tree there. Um, I, with regards to movies, I love character development, the movies that will really show how the arc of a character gets developed over time. And actually, so uh, for this morning, we're going to do a little bit about that. So we have been going through the book of Deuteronomy. We're in the middle of a series on Deuteronomy. And what we're going to do this morning is actually take a moment to We'll take more than a moment. We're going to take uh, this morning to look at the life of one of those that would have been in the audience of Moses's um, giving Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy is what that refers to is the second giving of the law, the second telling of the law. It's not a second law, but it's the second giving of the law. And Moses is sharing this with an audience who has gone through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. There's only a few holdouts who actually heard this law the first time, Joshua being one of them. Joshua, Caleb, uh, Moses, potentially Joshua's family, potentially Caleb's family, but we know Joshua and Caleb for sure heard this telling of the law the first time, and now they're hearing it a second time. And I thought Joshua is a really interesting character to get into. And that's one of the really cool things about the scriptures in general. God has given us his word, and all of it is fruitful for our development. All of it is inspired, and it is for our edification, every component of it. And so there are different styles of writings in the Bible that make up one cohesive story. Some parts we have poetry, some parts we have the law, some parts we have narrative, and particularly biographic, biographical narrative. And so we are going to look at the storyline of one of those characters from the Bible named Joshua. Now, Joshua is not a perfect person. In fact, that's what I love about the Bible. Aside from Jesus Christ, there are no perfect human beings in the Bible. Now, there are humans that live their lives, and pretty much what is captured in the Scripture is a pretty solid life. But we know 
that no person lived without sin apart from Jesus. So we can look at their lives and we know that there are some things to model, or they model, there's some things to emulate, but they're not the ones that we should be putting our hope in, but there are things that God has for us to pay attention to. So while he uh, communicates some of his truths through the law sometimes, thou shalt not steal, other times we learn about what he wants us to know through the actions people take in challenging circumstances. So we see what it's like to live a life of faith as we watch others model it in the scripture. Look at this morning, the life of Joshua briefly, because Joshua, we could take a whole sermon series looking at his, the way that God used him and the way that God wove his story through the Israelites' story. So we're going to take a look at that. We're going we're gonna to see how God shaped this individual to become the person who leads the Israelites into the promised land. Because for the whole period of Exodus, we know of one character. We know of Moses. Moses, uh, God speaks to him, and then he tells him to go and speak in front of Pharaoh. And we know the story of the plagues, and we know that Moses leads them out, and they get right into uh, the Red Sea, and then it divides, and they're able to go through Well, Joshua, for the most part, was actually there the whole time. It's really interesting. So we're going to take a look at some of the things that God did in the life of his servant to get him ready to be somebody who remembers God when now they're in the promised land. So that's what we're going to look at. And we're going to look at three particular areas where uh, Joshua demonstrates trust. And the first one is that God, or is that Joshua demonstrates trust in God's process. And when I say process, I mean the process of developing him and making him to be the kind of person God can use. The moldable, usable servant that is actually going to do what God wants him to do as he leads. And I think that that's our heart. We want to be men and women, young men and women, old men, young men, women. Ah, we want to be people that God can use. We want our hearts to be moldable. We want to be um, available for whatever he wants. And so we need, to be, we need to be trusting God's process, and we're going to see how Joshua did that. So uh, if you're fami- familiar with the movie The Ten Commandments, and uh, some friends, uh, last night we were actually gathering together, and we were, who's all seen The Ten Commandments? And it was like half and half, and some people, oh, I've seen it plenty of times. Other people are like, I've never seen it. I've heard of it. But, and that's, I think that's probably, we could split the, the um, audience here in half, and many people have seen it, many haven't. I remember the first time I saw it, though, I was surprised how early Joshua shows up in the movie. Because I know if you follow The Ten Commandments, it's the story of Moses, and it starts in Egypt, and actually, there's Joshua in Egypt. We're kind of like, well, Joshua doesn't show up until the book of Joshua. And then they go around in Jericho and, and stories like that. I didn't realize how early on the scene Joshua shows up. Actually, the book of Exodus and the book of Numbers. Joshua is mentioned many times as Moses' aide, as Moses' assistant, as somebody who was by his side. Joshua is somebody who is consistently there. And the first time he shows up on the scene is actually in Exodus 17. And this is really interesting because Exodus 17 is the scene of a battle. So the Israelites have gone through the Red Sea. Now they're in the Sinai wilderness. 
and they're wandering, but this is before they get to the edge of the promised land, before the spies are sent in. So they are still trying to get to the edge of the promised land, and they're going a route um, that is different than the straight shot to the promised land because God said, if I send them that way, they're going to run into the Philistines, and then they'll have to do battle, and they might want to just go back to Egypt which we know they wanted to go back to Egypt anyway many, many times. They say, why don't we just go back and die in Egypt? And, you know, they grumble against God. Anyways, they go this route. Well, they run into the Amalekites. And the Amalekites are not very happy that the Israelites are coming through their land. In fact, they prepare for war. And so Moses actually says to Joshua, and this is, our, this is the entrance of Joshua on the scene, even though in the background he's been there the whole time. He says, choose some people to go to battle against the Amalekites. The next chapter, Joshua has a visit from his father-in-law saying, you don't delegate anything. You need to actually have other leaders doing other things because you're going to wear yourself out. But the chapter before, Moses actually delegates something. Moses doesn't delegate anything. But here is the situation where he knows that this trusted aide Joshua can figure out who can go and fight against the Amalekites while Moses stands with his arms raised. If you're familiar with this story, there's the battle where Moses has to have his arms raised and God fights the battle while that Joshua is leading. And so Joshua, and I don't know how he figured out who would be a good fighter because it's only been two months since they left Egypt. They have been slaves their whole lives. It's just like Joshua's like, well, I know Charlie's good at carrying the stones. And that's really like they don't have any weapons. I don't know how they fought this battle. But God fought it for them. And that's our introduction to Joshua. It's actually really interesting too. After this battle, God commands Moses to write down everything so that he would, they would know what happened. It's the very first time in all of scripture that God commands somebody to write something down. Really interesting. Like just a little side point. But... Joshua is this rookie that gets called upon to step in and lead because Joshua has built a relationship with Moses. Moses has built a relationship with Joshua. Here in, we see the process. There is a discipleship relationship that has been happening over a long period of time to where Moses trusts Joshua with this massive request. Choose people to go to battle. Because this is a significant battle. If the Israelites get wiped out, that's it. And so this is a very large request that Moses has for him. And so we see the different ways that Joshua has been a disciple of Moses um, in the different places uh, in Exodus and Numbers. He was an aide that did not leave his side. Actually, so this is very interesting as well. Um, when Joshua or when Moses goes on to Mount Sinai, to receive the law from God, Joshua goes halfway up with him. Now, Joshua doesn't continue all the way up as Moses meets with God face to face. But when he comes halfway down, Joshua is there. He's not down at the golden calf where the Israelites have, they don't know what happened to Moses and they just start um, the idolatry of worshiping the golden calf. In fact, Joshua has no idea. He thinks it's the sound of battle has broken out in the camp. And Moses is like, no, no, no. I know what happened here. But we see Joshua consistently by his side. In fact, Moses changes Joshua's name. His name originally was Hoshua, and he changes it to Joshua. So we see him right there consistently alongside Moses. 
Because this is God's plan for us. He uses people in our lives. And he uses us in the lives of other people. This is the way that God chooses to communicate his message to people. This is the way that God chooses to communicate growth. Discipleship is a process that God uses in our lives. Sometimes we're the Joshua. We're the young, up-and-coming person in our lives, and we, we need an older mentor to help us see the things that we don't know are coming down the path. Sometimes we're Moses. It's hard to think of ourselves as Moses, but sometimes we're the person who has walked that walk, and we see somebody younger who we want to give advice to because we have experienced the challenges, and we know what it's like, and we know the hardships that maybe somebody a little bit younger doesn't quite see. But this is how God has structured it. He hasn't given us the choice to live our lives solo. That's not how the Christian life works. That's not how the gospel goes forward. It's not about doing life by ourselves. The process is with other people. People are God's plan A, People are God's plan B. Sometimes plan C includes pain. That's a process that God uses to form our character as well. And sometimes it's painful people in our lives that, that causes a lot of character growth in our lives, which well, that's not our favorite thing in the world. But God uses people in our lives as we become disciplers and disciples. Disciples and making disciples is all about what, that's God's plan. In fact, if you fast forward to what Jesus is saying to, the disciple, to his disciples as he is leaving the Great Commission at the end of Matthew, he says this, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We all need to make disciples we all need to be disciples. It's just what the Christian life is. If you want to walk with God, part of it is recognizing who is somebody older in my life that I can model my life after, who is somebody that I can pour into and what he has done for me. And we see it throughout the scriptures. We see Ruth and Naomi. We see Elijah and Elisha. We see Paul and Timothy. We see so many models of the discipleship relationship is the process for growth that God chooses to use. You know, we see at the very end of um, Joshua's life, you fast forward into the book of Joshua, Joshua 24, 15, we see the final product of a life of a disciple where he says, um, even in the midst of this, the people, uh, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. A life well lived is the final product of a discipleship relationship that is pointed towards God. So if you um, are thinking about your life, if you're a Joshua, who is your Moses? If you are a Moses, who is your Joshua? There's always different points in our lives where we have older people who are pouring into us. There's younger people maybe that we're pouring into. But our lives are consistently evolving and we're consistently in and out of relationships. Right now, who does God have in your life? You know, maybe there's somebody that this week it would be great to reach out to. Um, shoot him a text message and say, hey, let's grab some time. 
Maybe it's, it would take a step of faith in just asking them, I don't, I don't know how this person's going to respond, um, but I really, I, ex, I respect how they have walked with God. They're older. I, I, I know that they've gone through, through some things. I don't know much about them, but maybe I could reach out and hear a little bit more about what it's like been for them to, to walk with Jesus through life. Or maybe you have something to offer somebody else that's younger that you see following a path. I don't know. God has placed you in the lives of people, though, intentionally, not randomly. It's intentional that we have these relationships. So Joshua does a good job of modeling this, how God's process for development is discipleship. The second thing I want to look at is he has a trust in God's promises. So if we look at uh, Numbers 13 and 14, the chapters there, uh, this section right here is where, okay, so the spies, they, they defeated the Amalekites, not the spies, the, the Israelites defeated the Amalekites, they move forward, and they're right at the cusp of the promised land. And this is still, mind you, only a couple months after they've left Egypt. All this time frame is very, very close connected, like they're less than a year from being slaves in Egypt, and now they're right at the edge, and God tells Moses to say this to the people. The Lord said to Moses, Numbers 13, 1 through 2, send some men to explore the land of Canaan for which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send some, one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. So these aren't just like one random person from each tribe. This is like a leader, a person who can influence others in order to get them to do something. Moses is intentional with the people he chooses. The spies are not just um, random. They are like, these are the people that we really want to represent, to go in and to come back and give the report. Well, the report that comes back is not a good one. Moses tells them, go in, check out the land, check out the soil, check out the kind of cities, check out the people, bring back some fruit, because he just is hungry, I guess. He wants a, a taste of what's going on over there. They come back, and they come back with what is deemed a bad report. And now, bad is actually not just not a good report. It's actually a morally evil report. In fact, the King James Version captures it as the evil report that they come back with. There is a lack of faith in this report. And here's what they say. We went into the land that you gave us, or that you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites all live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report of the land they had explored. They said, we saw the land devour those living in it, and all the people we saw there were of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. The Nephilim, actually, it's come from uh, Genesis 6, where angelic beings and, and sons of man had descendants, and they were supposed to be giants. There's no real evidence that they were actually there. You, you know those Disney movies, uh, the, the cartoons where they're going through the scary forest at night and every twig and branch seems like it's a, a scary monster? It's the eyes of the spies have just perceived the worst thing about it. It's like they're giants. Oh, they must be the Nephilim. 
There's no evidence that they're the Nephilim at all. It's, it's a term that they would have known about if they were familiar with the scriptures, but that's not necessarily them. They just saw large people and they were afraid. And because they were leaders, they influence everybody except for a couple people. So here's what Joshua says in his response. The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Joshua stood firm because he was standing on the promises of God. So if you think about what promises of God Joshua would have been able to stand firm on, you know, the, the Bible at that point is only Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. There's... How many promises are there? Like we have the whole of Scripture to look back on promises. Joshua still had enough, though. He had nothing is too hard for the Lord, Genesis 18, 20, or 18, 14. The judge of all the earth always does right, Genesis 18, 25. Or he certainly would have heard this one uh, from Exodus 6. The Lord saying this, I am the Lord. I will bring you from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to a land I swore with uplifted hand to give you to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. There's a lot of I wills there that Joshua was able to cling to in the midst of this like bad report coming from very influential people. He can rest on God's promises. While the spies were looking at the size and strength of the people and the cities in the promised land, Joshua and Caleb were looking to the strength of the voice who's saying, I will. I will do these things. And his devotion enabled him to trust God for the promised land, but also to avoid and escape the judgment that God had for those who were unfaithful. Actually, the spies were, a plague went through and the spies all died. And then we know that the, the discipline for the people who listened to the spies' unfaithful report was that they had to wander for 40 years. And all of them did not actually enter the promised land, but perished prior to that. But Joshua, Caleb, and potentially their family, but that's it. They were allowed to enter because of their faithfulness. And in fact, not just enter, but Joshua was actually asked to give leadership to it. He was able to trust God because he took God's promises seriously. The Bible, there's a lot. There's a lot of commands. There's a lot of uh, verses. There's a lot of psalms. There's a lot of everything. It can feel complicated at times to like, what does God want? What is if we were to sum it up, simply trusting God pleases God. Remembering what he said, taking him seriously, taking God at his word pleases him. Romans 1.17 says, the righteous man shall live by faith. Romans 14.23, whatever is not of faith is sin. So we know that walking by faith is really what God calls us to. Hebrews 11:6 and without faith it is impossible to please God for he comes or for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder to of those who seek him believing God's promises as Joshua believed 
allows for us to please God. If you want your life to please God, believe in his promises and move forward accordingly. So we see Joshua trusting God's process. We see, God, or we see Joshua trusting God's promises. And now we're going to see Joshua trust in God's presence. So move forward 40 years. The whole wandering in the wilderness is over. Every single person that Joshua knew has passed away aside from Caleb. Can you imagine that, by the way? You're about to lead these people. And that's the whole of Deuteronomy that we've been looking at has been the second telling of the law. And so Moses is publicly speaking and giving this law. And Joshua's probably sitting there. He's like, Moses is hating this. I know how much Moses hates public speaking. He actually had to get his brother to do it. And now he's got to do it. He's probably hating every moment of this. And you, you know Joshua knew Moses better than anybody. But also in the back of his head, his head he's probably like, Moses isn't going. I got to lead all these people. And all these people have not seen what God did to pull us out of Egypt. I actually have to lead because of who I know God to be. I got to trust that God is going to be going forward with me. And so Moses actually has an experience with God as well as Moses uh, and God speaks to him and Moses, or God tells him um, to lift up Joshua and platform him basically before the whole audience. In Deuteronomy um, 31, this is where Moses summons Joshua. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, be strong and courageous for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore their forefathers to give them and you must divide it among as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. And then just a little later in the same chapter, the Lord himself goes to Joshua with this command. Be strong and courageous, for you will bring the Israelites into the land I promised them on both. And, myself, and I myself will be with you. So twice in one chapter, there is this promise that God's presence will go with Joshua. When any, anything is repeated in the Bible, that's the Bible's way of saying, putting it in bold, like this is super important. Pay attention to this. The thing that God gives Joshua is the promise of his presence. He will go with them. He will go with Joshua himself. So when you are anxious, when you're not sure of maybe these people really are that big, this is actually going to be really difficult. I'm there. When you're not sure of where to go, which city to go after next, I'm there. All those things that he was worried about translates to us today. God's promise is literal, or God's presence is literally the best thing in life. His presence, his nearness. And in the new covenant, we have the access to God's presence permanently. Now, this is not the way that God interacted with his people all the time in the Old Testament. In fact, in 2 Samuel, there's this story of the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of God's presence being brought into the city of David, and David dancing with all his might because he is so ecstatic that God's presence has come into the city. He is so ecstatic. It, makes, it gives us uh, an understanding of why he would write these words in Psalm 16. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. In God's presence, there is fullness of joy. I think a lot of times we try to pursue the fullness of joy apart from God's presence. And so we get a 
taste of joy. We get a taste of happiness, but then it's like fleeting. There's only in God's presence is there fullness of joy. Because God is the God, he's the God of all comfort. He is the God of, of um, he is the good shepherd. He is the one who is always there. He is all powerful. He is all knowing. There is nothing that is outside of his capacity. He is the alpha and the omega. Trusting in God's presence allows for us to take steps of faith. It allows for Joshua to take steps of faith that are actually very scary. This is something that actually I'm very familiar with right now. God's actually been leading uh, my wife and I in the last four years through a very surprising process. So my wife and I, Deb, uh, we came to Creekside in 2008. We were with uh, Campus Crusade for Christ at that time at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. We had been invited to give leadership to the ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ at Cal. And we moved up here, and John Bruce, the pastor at that time, invited me to come to lunch with him, and we grabbed lunch at Chili's over at Bayfair, and um, he was like, yeah, you should, you should check out our church. Come on down here. I'm like, ah, it's a little bit of a drive from Berkeley, and he's like, you should come anyway. I'm like, okay. And so we came, and we've been here ever since, and we've loved um, being at this church. We've loved the partnership that this church has given us as we've... Um, shared our faith at Berkeley's campus. We've shared our faith and, and made disciples all uh, at, at Cal and different countries and over the years. And in 2019, we began to sense God doing something else in our lives. And it was very weird because we had always felt called to working with Campus Crusade and we loved this organization. But it became, God, what are you doing? You're like leading us in a different direction. I, we kind of thought we'd always be with this organization, always working with college students. Well, this weird thing happened to us. We started getting older. <laughs> and relating with college students, it took a little more effort than what we, we like. We were working with staff at this time, and it's like, okay, working with staff, working with other grown-ups that can reach college students. It, it made a lot more sense, but the further we got from the direct ministry of working directly with students, the more we felt like, God, you're actually calling us to work full-time with other grown-ups in this place that you've made grown-ups go to during the day called work. <laughs> and we had been doing this with college students for such a long time and preparing them to go into the workplace, and we never thought in the, our wildest imagination that he might be sending us to go to work. And it's like, Oh, what are you doing, Lord? And it became very clear, and God opened some incredible doors and closed other doors to where he was leading us towards saying goodbye to our time with Campus Crusade and goodbye to our time in full-time ministry, but not goodbye to Creekside, not goodbye to our community here. And he opened up jobs for both Deb and I to be working um, in the East Bay, uh, but transitioning from full-time ministry to full-time um, workforce but still full-time ambassadors for Christ wherever we're going. And so we wanted to actually, Deb's, uh, she was here in first service, but we wanted to say thank you to our Creekside community for partnering with us because you guys have been right with us financially, prayer, partnering with our ministry at Berkeley um, and the East Bay with Campus Crusade for Christ for 20 plus, well, we've been uh, in ministry for 20 plus years, but you guys have been partnering with us for over 15 years. And it's been an incredible partnership, and we're so thankful. Uh, and, and we're coming to a close on that and starting up new roles in, in January. But it's been one of those, like, crazy steps of faith that we've had to trust God's presence through the whole process. 
And we're, we just wanted to say thank you to our church and to our church community for partnering with us. But we wanna, I want to get back to Joshua as we wrap up here because we've seen, okay, if we want to be people who remember God, and that's really what Deuteronomy is all about, as you go into the promised land, remember the law that God is giving you as you um, and the next generation goes into the promised land. Joshua, while a great model, is not perfect. And if we set our sights on just emulating who Joshua was, we're still going to fall short. It's interesting, Moses reaches, he reaches out to God. Moses prays and talks to God. And he says in Numbers 27, Lord, who is going to lead these people? Because, in fact, this is how he says it, who would go out and come in before them? One who will lead them and bring them out and bring them in. So the Lord's people will not be like a sheep without a shepherd. It's the first time that phrase is ever used in the Bible, a sheep without a shepherd. There's somebody else that looks out on a group of people and has compassion on them because he sees them like a sheep, as sheep without a shepherd. See, Joshua is a foreshadowing of Jesus. In fact, Joshua's name is, in fact, the very name of Jesus in the Greek. It's really interesting that it points towards someone even greater than him. Joshua's whole life, while moving people from the wilderness into the promised land, it's a whole foreshadowing of how Jesus moves us from the wilderness of sin into the promised land of eternal life in relationship with God. The whole thing is one giant parallel from here's the image of what it kind of could be like to here is the real thing. Joshua's whole life points us towards Jesus because we need somebody who, while Joshua demonstrated obedience, we need someone who demonstrated perfect obedience. We need somebody who completely triumphs over every enemy. We need someone who is the perfect shepherd, not just a good enough shepherd, but the perfect shepherd. We need somebody who can take us where we are and move us into the promised land of a relationship with God that we spend for all of eternity. We need Jesus. And while the Old Testament Joshua, it's a great example. It points us towards a greater person who came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins so that we could have a relationship with him for all of eternity. And so that's really as we look at the book of Joshua and we see what... um, we want to be as people who follow God the, and remember God. The first and most important thing is that we, we need Jesus. So let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. We thank you just for um, the individuals that you raised up and that we get to follow their stories, but that they ultimately point to you. Lord, our, our goal is to not become another Joshua our goal is not to be, become another Jeff Bruce. It's not to become another Max Butler. It, not to become another cre- human being that you, you've created. Lord, you, you desire for us to be more fully ourselves. But with you shaping us through the process of other people, through discipleship, through trusting in your promises, and remembering your presence as you go forward in life with us. Lord, we love you. We ask that you would move us this week as we seek to follow after you and what you've called us to and the relationships that you've placed us in in the location that you've placed us in that we would uh, love you well so that you would be glorified in the midst of others um, 
Yeah, Lord, we love you. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen.